Um, so, those of you that have been around this term will know that um, Neil's been taking us through the book of Philippians, focusing on the subject of joy no matter what. And I don't know about you guys, but for me, it's been, it's been a real life-changing series of, of sermons. Um, and I'm not just saying that because I want to raise. Um, <laughs> it really has. In fact, if you... Sorry? Hope deferred. Yes, go. In fact, if you've missed any of them, please do yourselves a favor. Um, go to our website, go to iTunes, um, download the podcasts, and, and listen to them again, because it's, it really is... Um, life-changing material that we've been going through. So Paul's letter to the church in Philippi challenges our cultural mindset and calls us to see the world around us through the eyes of Jesus. And today, we're going to look at how we can become mature Christians, or what I like to call joy in maturity. See what I did there? (laughs) Lindsay always mocks me because she says I laugh hardest at my own jokes. So, um, sometimes I'm the only one who laughs at my jokes, yes, you're right. (laughs) It's okay, Kate, it's okay. Um, Most of you have heard the saying, age is just just a number, maturity is a choice. And the same is true when it comes to spiritual or Christian maturity. How mature we are has nothing to do with when we gave our lives to Jesus or how long we've been hanging around this wonderful church or how short we've been hanging around here. Um, it's got everything to do with the choices we make and the mindset that we choose. Let me, let me start with a, with a personal story about maturity, um, just to give you an example of, of how not to do it. Um, <laughs> I, grew up, I grew up the youngest of five children, um, the youngest by quite a way. My next oldest sibling is my sister Trish, who is more than five years older than me. Um, some might say I was a mistake. I prefer to call myself a surprise. Um, <laughs> um, next, next oldest is, is my brother Adrian, who was not only older than me, but um, was also a physically stronger in, in more ways than one. Um, he played provincial level rugby in Zimbabwe and provincial level water polo. Um, and his nickname at school was the Vanilla Gorilla due to his shocking platinum blonde hair. Um, so needless to say, growing up there, I didn't stand a chance um, physically against him in our house. Anyway, one Sunday night, uh, I was about 15. He must have been about 22, just back from university on holiday. And he had, he had a, one of those plastic folders that he had rolled up. And he was whacking me on the leg with it repeatedly. And... Um, I asked him to stop, and then I told him to stop, and then um, I threatened him with violence, and then I jumped up, and he jumped up and ran out the door, and I chased him out into the garden, and um, my folks had quite a big garden. It was a dark winter's night, so I chased him out into the dark, and I dashed back inside and went through to my room, and as a child, I used to ride horses, so I had this beautiful black leather riding crop and <laughs> and I dug it out of my drawer I snuck out the back door went and hid around the corner of the house and I waited for him and I saw him coming creeping out of the dark creeping 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 and as he got into the light I came dashing up to him 
And in a moment of divine maturity, I thrashed him as hard as I could on the leg. (laughs) He nearly killed me. He turned around and he was about to beat me to a pulp. Um, Fortunately, my dad came running out, got in between us, and peace was restored. And we get on really well. We, um, <laughs> I think since then we've got on a whole heap better because there's a bit of mutual respect now, but um, not exactly the most mature moment in my life. So, how can we be more mature? Um, if you've got a Bible, why don't you turn with me to Philippians chapter 2, uh, verse 19, and we'll read through to verse 30. The words should appear. Oh, look, amazing. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, that I also may be cheered when I receive news about you. I have no one else like him who takes a genuine interest in your welfare, for everyone looks out for his own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know that Timothy Timothy has proved himself, because as a son with his father, he has served with me in the the work of the gospel. I hope, therefore, to send him as soon as I see how things go with me. And I am confident in the Lord that I myself will come soon. But I think it is necessary to send back to you Epaphroditus, my brother, fellow worker, and fellow soldier, who is also your messenger, whom you sent to take care of my needs. For he longs for all of you and is distressed because you heard he was ill. Indeed, he was ill and almost died. But God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but also on me, to spare me sorrow upon sorrow, Therefore, I am all the more eager to to send him, so that when you see him again, you may be glad, and I may have less anxiety. Welcome him in the Lord with great joy, and honor men like him, because he almost died for the work of Christ, risking his life to make up for the help you, you could not give me. So let's pray. Um, Lord, we, we, we thank you for your word that's sent to guide us and to challenge us and to direct us through this life. And Father, I, I ask that this morning that you will come and that you, you will speak through me, Lord. May, may my words be your words. And may you open up our hearts to receive your word. So come, Holy Spirit, for Jesus Christ's sake. Amen. So, what does it mean to be a mature Christian? What are the criteria that we must set ourselves and what are the key questions to ask ourselves? This morning we will, unsurprisingly, use the examples of Paul, Timothy, and Epaphroditus to answer some of these questions. I'm convinced that the only reason that Neil gave me this bit of Philippians to do is because it's got Epaphroditus so often in it. (laughs) Not the simplest word in the Bible, too. I mean, there's, there's tougher ones, but... First, first we'll look at the example of the, the Apostle Paul and some of the questions we have to ask ourselves in how do we become mature Christians today. So the first question is, have we learned to rely on Jesus to meet our needs? Paul learned to rely on Jesus to meet his needs, and there are two phrases which we easily skip over or miss in this passage that give us a glimpse into Paul's mindset. The first one is, I hope in the Lord. And the second one is, I'm confident in the Lord. Now, we might regard these as mere spiritual flourishes, like the equivalent of, I hope it doesn't rain this afternoon, or 
I'm confident that Arsenal will win the league this year. <laughs> Sorry, Sam. It's true. Um, but they're not spiritual flourishes. They go right to the heart of Paul's understanding of Christian maturity. Paul lived a Christ-drenched life. One thing he hoped was that the Lord would take care of his needs. And this was a guy who was, at the time of writing this, was either in prison or, or under house arrest. Um, and unlike today's prisons, the, Her Majesty didn't feed you and clothe you and meet all your needs while you were locked up in prison. Um, so you had to rely on other people to take care of you while you were locked up. So Paul really, he, was, he, he had to rely on the Lord. He had, he had no one else to rely on. So let me tell you something. Mature Christians have discovered that no other person on earth, however wonderful they are, can meet certain needs in our lives. So we open ourselves up and we say to God, only you can meet that need. Mature Christians have discovered the sufficiency of Christ. Most of us are afraid to get that personal with God. So we look for another person to meet that need. The married couples are here today. No matter how perfect your marriage, there are needs in your life that not even a spouse can meet, even if you change them. Even if they become more sensitive, even if they really begin to communicate, even if they really start listening, and even if they can read your mind, which they should be able to after a certain amount of time. <laughs> Those of you who are single today, if you think that finding that special someone will, as Jerry Maguire would say, complete you, I've got news for you. They may compliment you. They may be your companions, but they're more likely to complicate your lives than to complete them. And don't get me wrong, you know, I, Lindsay and I have been married for 14 years. 14 years. I just, I just asked her because she always forgets her. I'm just checking to see if she still remembered. <laughs> and I, I love being married to her. I wouldn't change it for the world. But I promise you, if you think that if I just find that special someone... It's going to complete me. Um, it's not going to happen. The only way that you will ever feel significant will be by realizing the significance you have in the eyes of God. Until you find identity in Jesus Christ, you will always feel insignificant. You'll always look for another achievement to bolster your sagging self-esteem. It's impossible for another human being to make us feel significant. Only Jesus can. You know, Neil, in this, this series through Philippians, um, a few weeks ago, he said something along these lines. I may have paraphrased it a bit. If you're single, um, there's a tendency to think that your life will be complete when you find that special someone. If you're married, there's a tendency to think that your life will be complete when you have children. If you're renting, there's a tendency to think that your life will be complete when you've bought a property. If you're unemployed, we think. <laughs> if you don't have a phone, there's a tendency to think that. <laughs> if, you, if you're unemployed, we think, oh, when I get a job, my life will be complete. If you've got a job, you think, oh, when I get a promotion, my, or I get a new job, my life will be complete. Guess what? It's a lie. It's all a lie. 
Paul was a man who was not afraid to be alone. He had a friendship in Jesus that completed him. And if we want to be mature Christians today, only Jesus can complete us. The second thing, the second question we have to ask ourselves um, when we look at, at being a mature Christian in relation to Paul is, are we confident that the Lord alone determines our future? Paul learned that Jesus alone determined his future and was in control of his life. He writes this, chapter 19, he says, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon. And chapter 24, he says, And I am confident in the Lord that I myself will come soon. We won't understand the significance or the importance of what Paul is saying until you realize what Paul didn't say. As I just mentioned, he was probably in jail, certainly under house arrest. Paul did not say, I'm hoping that Nero, who has power over my life, will let me out of jail soon. Or, if he was in Caesarea, didn't say, I'm hoping that Festus or Agrippa or anyone else who has the power will let me out of jail. He didn't say that. Paul says, I'm hoping in the Lord. How many of you know that I myself came within a whisker of being imprisoned? Neil's nodding like he knows. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no. So Lindsay and I had been married for about four or five months. Um, so um, we were still living on a, on a farm in Zimbabwe. I was managing a farm out there. Um, we were in the process of moving through to, to Harare at that stage. And um, Lindsay had gone through and she, she was staying with her brother in Harare already. And it was a Friday afternoon. My dad had just popped around to see me. Um, and he was just getting into his Toyota Hilux to head back to, to his house when a police Land Rover drove in. And it's nothing unusual at that stage. So I looked up. And there were two of my neighbors sitting in the back of the police Land Rover, which is never a good sign. So the policeman called me over and asked where the owner of the farm was. I said, uh, he's not here. So he said, well, are you the manager? I said, yeah, I'm the manager. So he said, okay, jump in. So <laughs> fair enough. So I jumped in the back. Um, and the police were actually going around the country at that stage and, and just arresting farmers um, purely for being on their land just to try and intimidate them. And um, there's, for those of you who don't know, there was a process at that stage of, of um, chasing a lot of the white farmers off the, the the land that they that they had farmed for years. Anyway, so I climb in with my neighbours and we head off to the local police station where we were due to be charged and locked up for the weekend because the provincial courts in Zimbabwe don't operate on a Saturday. So that's why they arrest you on a Friday afternoon because they keep you there for the whole weekend and it's not until Monday sometime that you actually get to go to court. Anyway. Um, Unbeknown to me, my dad is on the radio. We had a local radio network. He's on the radio um, telling everyone what's going on and who's been arrested and, and where we're off to. Um, I arrive at the police station. They, they start processing one of my neighbors first. I'm sitting there waiting. And as they're about to process me, the guy who owned the farm I was managing walked in the door. And he'd obviously got the message from my dad and decided that it wasn't right for me to be locked up for his farm. So he came, we did a bit of a prisoner swap and he took my place and, and spent the weekend in a rather grotty cell um, which was probably lice infested 
and um, was released on the Monday. Anyway, Paul probably didn't have much better conditions than that, so back to Paul. And I didn't get arrested, so I don't have a record, which is awesome. <laughs> As a mature Christian, he realized that only one person has ultimate control concerning his destiny, and that was the Lord. So let me ask you a question this morning. What person in this world has the power to determine your future happiness? As mature Christians, we recognize that, the, we, we, recognize that, that we are under the overruling lordship of Jesus Christ. That nobody on earth can affect our futures. Not our family, not our bosses, not our children, not our friends. The beauty of the Christian life is that we're the freest people on earth. What other people think of us has no importance. Only that's, that's important is what Jesus thinks of us. Whether they think well of us or whether they don't, it doesn't matter. We don't have to live under anyone's thumb except God's thumb. We, every Tuesday we run a job club at, at the yard, which is our community center on a housing estate in Putney. And we have people coming to us who've been sent to us by, by the job center. And they come in and they, they're wondering where they need to sign on. And, and I have to sit down and explain to all of them that we don't, we don't answer to the job center. We don't answer to the council. We don't answer to the local government. And then I say to them, the only person we answer to is Jesus. And they get this kind of puzzled look on their face, like they don't really believe me. Um, but then every now and again, we get one of them that comes and joins us on a Sunday here. And they're just blown away by it. And so, who do we answer to? We only answer to Jesus. Most people think that Christians lead this narrow life. And the truth is exactly the reverse. Do you know who the freest person is who ever walked the face of the earth? Anyone? You guys are such a lively bunch this morning. <laughs> yeah, it was Jesus. Well done. Well done. <laughs> There's one scene that encapsulates this when Jesus was on trial about to face one of the most torturous, excruciating deaths ever designed. He's standing before Pontius, being interrogated by him. And he doesn't answer any of, of Pilate's um, questions. And in exasperation, Pilate threatens, Do you refuse to speak to me? Pilate said. Don't you realize I have the power either to free you or to crucify you? And Jesus, with, in my head anyway, answers with absolute peace. And he says to him, you would have no power over me if it were not given to you from above. And I was thinking about this. I thought, if it was me, I probably would have said, you don't have any power that my dad hasn't given you. Um, the only person who has power over mature Christians is Jesus. Okay, so that's Paul. The example of Paul um, and how, how we can be mature Christians by, by looking at Paul. Now we're going to look at Timothy. So verse 19 says this, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, that I also may be cheered when I receive news about you. I have no one else like him who takes a genuine interest in your welfare. For everyone looks out for his own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know that Timothy has proved himself because as a son with his father, he has served with me in the work of the gospel. I hope, therefore, to send him as soon as I see things, how things go with me. And I am confident in the Lord that I myself will come soon. 
Paul is entrusting a major spiritual responsibility to Timothy. And as mature Christians, we should be asking ourselves, what criteria qualifies me for significant responsibility in the body of Christ or in this body of Christ? I think Paul lays out a list here that is excellent. So Timothy was a really young man, and for me it just confirms what I said earlier about maturity. Age is not a very significant factor. Spiritual responsibility isn't dependent upon age. It doesn't matter if you're 18 or if you're 80. The only thing that matters in spiritual, is spiritual maturity. So, question number three that we ask ourselves this morning is, are we like-minded? Verse 20, it says, I have no one else like him, which literally means, I have no one else of equal soul to me. In other words, I have no one else who is like-minded to me. So, are we like-minded here this morning? In other words, do we share the same values? Are our hearts knit together? Are we pulling in the same direction? Never compromise on your values. Um, an example of this is anyone here who's single, who's, who's thinking of marriage at any stage. There are more searching and deeper, more discerning questions than am I attracted to this person? Do we communicate well? Do we enjoy each other's company? Do they make me feel good? The real questions you should be asking yourself are, are we working off the same set of blueprints for the foundations of our lives? Do we fundamentally share the same values? Are we rooted in the same place? Are we heading in the right direction? If we're looking to be more mature in Christ, we need to ask, are we like-minded about our values? What do we think about the way we do worship, the way we interpret the Bible, the way we do ministry? Or are we a lone ranger, off on our own? Are we accountable to this church? Are we in love with this church? I, I, I flip and love this church. We, you know, we've been here for, for a long time. and, and um, Thanks, Lindsay. Thanks. <laughs> um, Oh, gosh. I'm not going to say you complete me because we've covered that already. <laughs> it's, it's called the body of Christ for a reason, and bits of the body don't operate well on their own. Um, Jay Pathak, who leads the Mile High Vineyard in Denver, says on the subject of the body of Christ, if you walked into a living room and saw an eye lying on the carpet or a hand just lying in your garage, you wouldn't say, what a lovely eye, or what a beautiful hand. You'd be pretty freaked out. And it's the same with us. We, we need to be part of the body. We, we're, a, we're a body of, of, of Christ, and, and on our own, we're not cool. It's really not cool. <laughs> so if someone were to ask Neil and Kate, would they say about you, I have no one else like them? The fourth, the fourth thing we need to think about in relation to spiritual maturity is this. Do we have a genuine concern for people? Verse 20 says this. I have no one else like him who takes genuine interest in your welfare. 
That phrase, genuine interest, originally meant really worried. So if you're wanting to be a mature Christian, do you have a profound problem with anxiety? People who are... Mature Christians are burdensomely anxious and distracted with the welfare of others. Jesus used the same, the same word for it when he was talking to Martha. He said, Martha, Martha, you are worried and upset about many things. So we have to ask ourselves today, are you distracted by the plight of others? Rather like a mother who's temporarily lost sight of her child. She can't sit down and have a cup of coffee or a conversation or watch TV until she's found them. Are we prepared to put our needs aside for the needs of others? Or are we too worried about missing strictly or X factor? The fifth thing we need to ask ourselves is, are we of proven character? Verse 22 says this, But you know that Timothy has proved himself because as a son with his father, he has served with me in the work of the gospel. The word for character in the Bible has the same root as tribulation. So, people may ask, how do you know if someone has good character or not? And it's pretty easy. Um, how do they handle trial and tribulation? Because if they prove, if, sorry, if they, how do they handle trial and tribulation? You know what's in a person by, by what's in them when they get squeezed or bumped. It's often said of us as Christians that we're like a tube of toothpaste. We're all shiny and pretty on the outside with nice logos. and um, It's not until we get squeezed that you actually see what's inside. So we should ask ourselves this morning, when we get squeezed, what comes out? Is it anger at God? Is it gossip? Are we upset? Are we in despair? Is there bitterness? Or when we squeezed... Do we say, oh, that hurts. I've got to give it to God. If you've come to that point, congratulations. You're starting to grow up. People sometimes think they've been disqualified from leadership or um, having an area of responsibility in the church because they've been through major trials or crises or because they've been squeezed. Let me just tell you, if that was the case, I wouldn't be standing up here this morning. Um, Lindsay and I have had a fair number of trials and tribulations throughout the years. And um, sometimes what's come out has not been great, but I think we're getting better at it. So being squeezed is your qualifying certificate or your diploma. If you've been through pain, through fire of some kind, a divorce, the loss of a loved one, the loss of your job, um, any, any, sort of, any sort of fire, um, any sort of major failure, and you've allowed God to wash your wound and it's no longer infected, that's what qualifies you for some broader ministry or some area of responsibility. It's something that the Lord allows. So when someone walks in and says, you know what, we've been through a really tough time, um, we say to them, well, tell us about it and, and how, how tough was it and how did you handle it and um, not because we want to hear how hard everyone's lives is or are, um, but it's, if they've dealt with it properly in the Lord, as Paul would say, then 
that's done nothing but strengthen them. It's a bit like weightlifting. Um, the Lord puts a bit of weight on us every now and again just to help strengthen us. We, um, Lindsay and I have been members of a gym for a while, um, and we haven't been for quite a while. So, <laughs> so, so we, we, um, we, we've been praying. So, Lord, just, I don't know, just help us. We, you know, we, we need to exercise. We need to get into the gym. So please just help us. And um, this weekend, we, we lost all our hot water in our house. <laughs> and and um, last night, I was making my 15th trip upstairs with pots of boiling water that I'd heated up on the, on the, on the stovetop. And I came walking downstairs, and I said to Lindsay, do you know what? We could have just gone to the gym to shower. <laughs> so we're going to the gym this evening for the first time. <laughs> so, the Lord works in mysterious ways, let me tell you. Okay, where was I? Um, right. The sixth question we need to ask ourselves today um, is an example from Epaphroditus. Epaphroditus understood that maturity was not a matter of being super spiritual, but of being very real. So we need to ask ourselves, are we a real, normal human being as opposed to super spiritual? In the vineyard, we don't do super spiritual. You you may have heard a term called naturally supernatural. And we just try and do the things of God in the most normal, approachable um, way that we can. Um, So verse 25 says this, But I think it is necessary to send back to you Epaphroditus, my brother, fellow worker and fellow soldier, who is also your messenger, whom you sent to take care of my needs. For he longs for all of you and is distressed because you heard he was ill. Indeed, he was ill and almost died. But God had mercy on him, and and not on him, but also on me, to spare me sorrow upon sorrow. Therefore, I am all the more eager to send him, so that when you see him again, you may be glad, and I I may have less anxiety. Welcome him in the Lord with great joy, and honor men like him because he almost died for the work of Christ, risking his life to make up for the help you could not give me. Do you know how many words here in this, in this little bit of verse there are about feeling and emotion? He longs for all of you. Epaphroditus was yearning for you to spare me sorrow upon sorrow. Therefore, I'm all the more eager to send him to you so that you may see him again, and you may be glad, and I may have less anxiety. The more mature you get, the more intense your emotions will be, the more real your humanity will be. The more mature you get in the Lord, the more intensely you will feel things. Um, People think that mature Christians feel less, and I'd say it's exactly the opposite. Mature Christians feel things more. People in in the world who, who are not Christians, they get dull and they grow calluses over their hearts. But Christians have deep, vivid emotions. Rich Nathan, who leads the the Columbus Vineyard in Ohio, says this. One of the things that God has done with me is that it's becoming increasingly easy for me to cry. As a child, I grew up in a dysfunctional family, often violent, so I'd withdraw into myself and my books. But over the years, he's brought me out of that. Um, Lindsay will tell you that that, um, uh, I come from a pretty emotional family. Um, we, We don't hide our emotions very well. 
Um, but I spent 10 years in boarding school, and uh, emotions don't get you very far in, in a boys-only boarding school. So I learned to bury them quite well. And since, since I've been part of the vineyard, um, I've, I've, my emotions have just, yeah, they're, they're a problem sometimes. So <laughs> anyway, Epaphroditus was a real person with real feelings. And um, we need to be real. It's not about being super spiritual. So coming into land. Um, and we are actually coming into land. We've looked at three mature people. So now, how do we look at ourselves as a mature church? Do you know that in verse 22 it says, But you know that Timothy has proved himself, because as a son with his father, he has served with me in the work of the gospel. And he says regarding Epaphroditus, Epaphroditus, my brother. A mature church will have both father and son or mother and daughter relationships, as well as brother and sister and sister and brother and brother and brother relationships. In a mature church, you're going to see family relationships all over the place. And one of the things I love about this church is that people people are able to say, this person has really been a sister or a brother in the Lord to me. In fact, I'm closer to this person than to members of my own family. Um, Most of you will will have seen Samira, who serves coffee here. pretty regularly, and um, she's been in the UK for 30 years. She came here um, from Turkey in 1986, and for 30 years she was on her own. She didn't have any family here. She came along to the job club, and we invited her to church, and um, a week later she was serving coffee, and she, um, she said to me a few weeks ago, she said, you know, for 30 years I was on my own in London, and now I've got a family, and a big family at that. <laughs> um, next Sunday will be 12 years since Lindsay and I walked through the doors of this church. And when we arrived here, we didn't have a single family member in the UK. We had, um, we had literally a list, less than a handful of friends in the UK, actually. And the people in this church just scooped us up, invited us into their homes, shared meals with us, prayed for us, worshipped with us. And over the years, I'm, I'm sorry, but you people have become our family, so you're stuck with us. Um, and that's the way churches are supposed to be. That's, that's the metaphor for God's church. We are God's family. And that's why we go on about house groups so much. We wouldn't have got connected in this church so quickly if it wasn't for, for being involved in a house group. Um, and like all good families, we don't just eat together and laugh together, and, and, um, we, but we also work together. We, we feed the poor at food bank. We help people get, get, back, at, get back into work at, at job club. We pray for the sick at healing on the streets. We, we make coffee. We, we serve on the worship team. We, um, we work shoulder to shoulder. So if any of you are struggling to feel part of the family and, and part of this church today, um, just ask yourself, where can I get stuck in? Where can I serve? Um, how can I become part of the, this family and part of this body of Christ? And how can I become more mature? And how can we become more mature as a church? If, and if you're looking for anywhere to serve, just come and see me. I promise I've got lots of places to serve. Um, great. So, who wants to grow up before they grow old, as they say? <laughs> 